this is Mike Linstead, president and co-founder of the Nehemiah Project. You are listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast, where we replace hopelessness with hope. Well, we're back on our podcast series entitled The Origin of Evil. Today, we are going to discuss how to overcome sin in your life. Last podcast, we discussed the seed of every sin was planted in the Garden of Eden. And now we're going to talk about how to overcome that sin in your life. And we're going to do that by expositing Ephesians chapter 4 through chapter 5, verse 2. Pastor Chad, I know that this is one of the foundational texts for biblical counseling. Mm -hmm. Because in it, we see the gospel-empowered change process just laid out. Yeah. And uh, wouldn't you know it? Dr. Ernie Baker had me doing this for homework. So I figured, (laughs) man, this is a great segue into the problem that we presented in in our last podcast episode. Yeah, absolutely. We we call it the three-part process, which has many things encompassing it. But essentially, it's the put off, put off the old, renewing our mind in what's true, the scriptures, and the put on aspect of repentance, which is walking that out and changing. That's the gospel-empowered change process, but it it obviously assumes that the gospel has already transformed your heart. So there's really four steps if we think about it from beginning to end. It's salvation has taken place in the Mm -hmm. heart of an individual and the life of an individual, Mm -hmm. which then allows us to put off the old man, as we're going to see, Paul says, and then have our minds renewed in the truth, or Dr. Ernie Baker says, have a change in your worship disposition. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we can put on Christ-likeness. Yeah. Now, the big theological term for this is progressive sanctification. That's right. All that means is that we are progressively becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That's it, right? And so we know that at salvation, we are positionally sanctified, That's right. which means we are called out from the world <clears throat> to fellowship with God. In mm-hmm. fact, that's what the word ekklesia in the Greek literally means, which is the word translated church in your Bible. It means people called out of the world and to fellowship with God. That's the literal meaning of the church. And so the gospel empowered change process then is Mm -hmm. salvation, put off, mind renewal slash change in worship disposition, and then put on. Yeah, another way to think of it is all true believers through salvation and the power of God's grace and the help of the Holy Spirit in true worship will possess sanctification, meaning Christ-likeness. We have that ability, as uh, Paul says in Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Because of the gospel, we now have freedom of choice. We can now choose voluntarily to follow Christ. Mm -hmm. However, we must stand firm, that same passage. For freedom Christ has set us free, stand firm, therefore. And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So even though we have the ability to possess sanctification, our love for God compels us to strive toward sanctification. That's where we're working in in tandem with God's Word and the Holy Spirit to be sanctified. There's a continual process of that. That's what we call progressive sanctification. Amen. Now, is progressive sanctification a process that will end at some point in your life? When you die. When you die, that's right. (laughs) Now, do you need to be progressively sanctified to be saved? To an extent. But look at the guy who died next to Jesus on the cross. Mm -hmm. He didn't have a whole lot of time, did he? He didn't have the opportunity. didn't have the opportunity, right. So this process is a process that basically then describes the Christian life. Yeah. That's basically it. And really, um, it's a reflection of the heart, meaning... You will strive towards sanctification if you are truly saved. That's right. Um, so that's why First John, James, many different uh, letters and mm-hmm. passages describe, and Jesus himself describes, you'll, you can judge a tree by its fruit, right? If you're truly changed by Christ, you will be truly changed, mm-hmm. meaning you will change. Mm-hmm. And if you're not desiring to change, if you're not desiring to worship God and and do what he's called us to do because Jesus says in John 8 abide in my word and you will be my truly my disciples mm-hmm. you will know the truth and the truth will set you free 
right? Mm-hmm. Abiding in the word is the key factor there. That's mm-hmm. abide is a Greek word. It's a verb that means to stay, mm-hmm. to stay in the word, meaning to conform to the word. That's a reflection of truly being a disciple. Mm-hmm. So, what we also see is if there's no desire for that, if there's no conviction to do that, what you're really saying is I'm not sure if I'm actually saved, because mm-hmm. a true a person who is truly saved will do that process, mm-hmm. will desire to do that process, even though we will fail over and over again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the book of Romans describes it this way, that God is righteous. When he saves you, he declares you righteous. Mm-hmm. He gives you his own righteousness, and that righteousness in you necessarily produces a practical righteousness through you. Mm-hmm. It's very straightforward. Oh, yeah. It's the life of God flowing down from heaven through your body out into the world. Yeah, we just came uh, on the hills of Valentine's Day, right? Mm-hmm. And I like to use this analogy because if I say I love my wife, other people should be able to tell that I love my wife. How, do they, how can they tell? By how I speak to her, by the time I spend with her, by my joy in pursuing her, but you know, dating her, all those things, right? Now, if I did none of those things, I talked poorly about, didn't care about, just did whatever I wanted, but I said I love my wife, what would you say? No, you don't. No, you don't. Well, yes, I do. I say I love her. Yeah, but you don't. <laughs> you don't do anything that... You don't do anything that proves that. Right. So you would rightly be questioning whether or not I actually love my wife. Precisely. No different than with the Lord. It's very straightforward, (laughs) right? So we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, through Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. And we have a little outline here that we put together, and I'll read it to you. Uh, The first section is in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. It's called the Exhortation to Godliness and Unity. The next section in verses 7 through 12 is the Example of Unity in Diversity. The next section in verses 13 through 16 is the exercise of diversity that leads to growth in maturity and mm-hmm. love. We have three more sections, but when we get there, I'll pronounce them to you. But let's first look at the exhortation to godliness and unity in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4. The Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, exhort you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So there we have the exhortation to godly living and Mm -hmm. to unity. Now let's go back up to the top we have the word exhort up there in the very first verse. Now, what is an exhortation, Chad? Um, to, to challenge, to encourage, to um, essentially encourage someone to walk mm-hmm. or to live in, a, in the way that the scriptures would describe. So. That's right. It's the word Greek word parakaleo. It means I personally call you. I personally summon you, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's got a little bit more of a serious tone to sure. it, right, than, uh, hey, bud, come on, you know? It's like, no, 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 this is very important. Right. I exhort you mm-hmm. to walk, which is a Hebrewism for live life, mm-hmm. right? It's a euphemism, particularly in the Hebrew culture. They would say that quite often. I encourage you strongly to walk in a manner worthy of which you have been called. Now, that word called is a salvific term, right? right. It, it is it is, it is ex Kaleo means to be called out from and to God. Right. Kaleo means call. Ek means out to and from. Mm. So that's what he's saying. He's like, look, this reality has taken place in your life called salvation. Mm-hmm. That's what the first three chapters are all about, right? Right. And they're amazing chapters. So that's the assumption here. Like we can't ask somebody who isn't saved to put off and put on, right? Because mm-hmm. they don't have the ability to change their worship dispositions. Right. Ephesians 2 would remind us that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Mm-hmm. Without the Lord calling us out, without salvation, without regeneration, we can't expect a lost person to desire God because on our own, we do not desire God. That's right. So you're you're asking someone to do something that they're incapable of doing. Right. And the only person that can change that is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. He can change that. Mm -hmm. And so 
if we are asking someone who isn't saved to put off, put on, mm-hmm. effectively what we're really trying to do then is we're trying to exercise cognitive behavioral therapy. Right. Just change your thinking. Right. right? Yeah, but my mind is broken. Right. <laughs> I worship the wrong thing. Right. Right. Exactly. And that's the difference between biblical counseling and that of cognitive behavioral therapy. It's similar in practice in 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 the practicalities of it, right? To renew the mind, to then walk that out and change. Mm-hmm. But if there's no standard of truth, if there's no opening the eyes to the truth of God's word, you cannot change. You're just going to shift one sin for another. That's right. Uh, uh, you'll change from a more um, graphic sin or something that's causing more harm to something that's lesser and causes less harm in this More life. socially acceptable or right. whatever. But what, what cognitive behavioral therapy is fundamentally lacking is the gospel. That's right. <laughs> well, and there's no standard of truth. Mm-hmm. The other issue in the cognitive behavioral therapy is the goalpost always changes. Mm-hmm. And the, the person is the one who really gets to decide what that new thinking is, right? Mm. The counselor is only helping that person to say, well, you don't want to do this. What would you like to do? What would you like to be thinking? And then they help them think that thing. So... Yeah. The standard of truth constantly moves. Mm-hmm. So Paul is assuming that he's speaking to saved individuals when he has this exhortation to godliness. And then he describes how that can be done in verse 2 and verse 3. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, mm-hmm. bearing with one another in love. Now, here's an interesting little historical note on that word humility. That word humility really didn't exist before Paul started to use it as he exhorted Christians mm. to walk in this particular way. So really, it's a word that Christians really coined. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like how they took the word agape. Mm-hmm. Although that word did exist, they started to apply it to the love of God because mm-hmm. it's the love of choice, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so just an interesting side note there. But basically, what is humility? Well, it's gentleness. It's patience. It's bearing with one another in love. And I love how he puts bearing with. I mean, when, when I say bearing with, mm-hmm. what does that make you think of? Like, I'm underneath something heavy, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm thinking of bearing load. I'm thinking of hard right. work, right? Right, because we're all under the same load. That's right. That's why we have to do it in humility because the same thing that we would exhort someone else with is what we're exhorting ourselves in mm-hmm. as well. So you can't have pride in that as if I've got it figured out and you need to get your act together. It's I need, I have to love and serve the Lord and listen to what his word says. And I'm exhorting you to do the same thing because he is Lord. That's right. Right. Jesus says, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? That's right. Right. He says, hey, take care of that log that's sticking out of your eye before you try to help your brother take care of that speck that's in his eye. To exhort someone pridefully is an oxymoron. Yeah. That wouldn't make any sense in the context of God's word. And we do that so often, don't we? Oh, yeah. We do that so often. I've got this figured out. Why can't you figure it out? Yeah, right. It's easy, bro. Yeah. It's like, uh, no, actually, it's actually impossible it's actually without very the gospel. Diffi- very difficult. Actually. Yeah. So so that's that would be an example there of, of what Paul means by all humility, mm-hmm. right? We have gentleness and patience as we go about bearing one another's burdens or bearing with one another in love, mm-hmm. right? In love, agape. We've already made a decision of our own will mm-hmm. to do this, irregardless of how my brother or sister in Christ may treat me as a result. Mm-hmm. Now, I have made that will because I love the Lord mm-hmm. and I want to do what he would do, which is it fair to say he's mm-hmm. definitely bared our burdens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's our example. Paul points to that in Philippians 2, right? Mm -hmm. Who didn't consider um, his position as God something to be desired, but he lowered himself Mm -hmm. to the form of a servant so that we could be saved and that we would worship and and bow the knee to him. That's right. So that speaks to our disposition or our attitudes right there, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to do this in gentleness and patience and humility. We're going to bear with one another in agape love. Verse 3 says, being diligent, that word means to fully apply oneself, to make a speedy commitment to accomplish all that God des- or assigns. So we're going we're gonna to be steadfast in our commitment. We're not going to be vacillating in our commitment. We're going to fully apply ourselves to do what? He says, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This unity that he refers to here is the harmony of, 
that is resultant from a bunch of people who share the likeness of the nature of God. Mm. That's what happens when you get a bunch of Christians who are genuinely worshiping the Lord and desiring to carry out his word, you get unity mm. and you get peace. Irene in the Greek, we've talked about peace. Go back and listen to our podcast entitled, Do You Have Peace? It is a phenomenal topic, mm. but that is the result that Paul is calling us to. He says, when you walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, that's your salvation, and you do it this particular way in all humility, and you are diligent, you are unwavering in your commitment to do this, you will have unity and you will have the bond of peace. Absolutely. We're all working towards the same goal. Yeah. Right? Now, here's where the unity uh, is anchored to in verses four through six. He says, there is one body, there is one spirit, there is one hope of your calling, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. That num- that word one is simply the primary number one. Yeah. There's one. Yeah. All right? We're all anchored back to the same God with the same faith that is the system of doctrine that explains this God through his own revelation. And we are all baptized into one spirit, okay? Mm-hmm. Therefore, it is actually possible to have unity. Yeah, It's actually possible because we all believe the same thing because all what we're believing is all coming from the same God. That's right. That's right. And, and I love how you pointed that out because the question may arise in someone, well, how come there's so many different, Mm -hmm. you know, teachings and so many different things? And by and large, it's oftentimes false teaching, Mm -hmm. falsehoods that are not what the gospel is and not what the actual meaning of the text says and what God's word says that it is, right? We go off into mystical places or works-based places or religiosity or whatever you want to fill in the blank with and we're just to be conformed to the text knowing what the word of god actually says and means that's right and the craziest thing about this whole everything you just said is this is kind of how jesus set it up yeah right you go to the parables of matthew and in matthew chapter 13 and there is the parable of the uh the weed and the tares he says in Chapter 13, verse 24, he presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. And while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? Mm -hmm. And he said to him, an enemy has done this. And the slaves said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no. For while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then he goes on to explain the meaning of this parable. And basically, just for time's sake, he basically says is that you're going to have believers and unbelievers in the world, mm-hmm. right? And so from this reality, right, we know that those unbelievers do infiltrate the church. Mm-hmm. And in fact, some of them try to deceive within yeah. the church, right? Yeah, some of them even become teachers. And, and some, not all do this knowingly, like the Apostle Paul is a good example. The guy was killing Christians in the name of God. But he said he received mercy because he acted in, in ignorance, mm-hmm. right? So he didn't know what he was doing was actually against God's will, yeah. right? So there is mercy there. I'm not saying everybody that deceives is doing this intentionally, but there definitely are people who do it intentionally. Yeah. And so uh, we know that God is sovereign. We know that he is in control. We know that this reality hasn't escaped his purview. Um, So what do we do? Well, we do what Paul's telling us to do here, right? Mm -hmm. We believe in the one Lord, the one faith, and we are all baptized into the one spirit. That's the unity. But then in verses seven through 12, we have an example of unity and diversity. Mm -hmm. Now that is a concept unity and diversity that you will see in every major doctrine of the Bible, particularly starting with the Trinity, Mm -hmm. right? So it makes perfect sense that then you see that same reality in the church, right? right? The unity is what we've just described, but here's the diversity. Here's what it says in verses seven through 12. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, quote, 
When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men, end quote. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. So we have unity in diversity here. The diversity is the giftings that Christ has given to all of the members of his own body, Mm -hmm. right? Now, let's kind of dive into this because we see the inner workings of this diversity and how it all works together as a system to produce tighter unity. Yeah. Right? So what do we see here in verse 11 and 12, Chad? Well, we first we see the apostles and the prophets. Then we see evangelists, then pastors and teachers. And we have to understand, you know, if we take the right hermeneutic, right, the literal, grammatical, historical um, hermeneutic to understand this, this helps us understand that he gave the apostles and the prophets. This was for a time, right? The mm-hmm. the prophets we see all throughout the Old Testament. The last one that we see in Scripture is John the Baptist. Right. Right. That gift of a prophet dies there because the need for it has died because Christ comes, who's the ultimate prophet, the Word of God. He he confirms all the Old Testament and explains what all of it meant, right? Yeah, he's the last Old Testament prophet. Yeah. You do see a few New Testament prophets, but the reason why you do see that is not because the the gift continues on today, but it's because at the time we see them in the mm-hmm. book of Acts, like Agabus in mm-hmm. chapter 11 of Acts, mm-hmm. the Bible hadn't been written fully, yeah, right? So exactly. the prophets were still revealing the will of God. And, and that was the purpose of the prophets, right. right? And one little side note, um, those that would claim to be prophets today, they would have to do it in the in the context by which Scripture uh, aligned it, which means speaking the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And there was a measurement of that. There was a consequence of being a false prophet. So if someone says something is from the Lord and it doesn't come to be, what are they supposed to do to those people, Mike? They're supposed to drag them out back and stone them, according yeah. to Deuteronomy 13. So... For those that would claim to be prophets, be very careful. Yeah, be careful, right? <laughs> right. Because the word prophet literally means foretelling the mind of God. Right. And so the mind of God is recorded for us in Scripture because mm-hmm. of those prophets during the that that uh, period of Pentecost where the church right. was being birthed. And the apostles were given to lay the foundation, which is right. Christ, to lay the foundation for the New Testament church. And that's why you see the apostles as the fathers of the church, if you will, having very similar giftings as Christ himself. They're able to do miracles, cast out demons, so on and so forth, but for the purpose of laying the foundation of the church. That's right. And then the evangelists, those that really have the gifting of going out and proclaiming the gospel, and that still exists today. Mm-hmm. Some people have that um, that gift where they can just talk to anybody and mm-hmm. share the gospel with anybody. You know, mm-hmm. uh, It doesn't mean that uh, all Christians aren't supposed to share the gospel. We are. That's right. But some people have a, a more uh, gifting towards it. But then you see the pastors and the teachers. Um, That word is the same word, pastor, teacher, same word is synonymous with an elder, which Mm -hmm. we see set up in the New Testament epistles where Paul's uh, writing the letters to Timothy and Titus and so on and so forth of what an elder is and and how an elder is to operate. And elders are essentially managers, um, have the gift of being able to teach and being able to expose and explain the scriptures to the congregation for the purpose of building up the body. Mm -hmm. And so that's the main office that we see today in the church is that office of elder, uh, teacher, pastor, to shepherd the people. And we do that through not saying something new, but explaining the Holy Scripture of God for our people to understand and to obey. That's right. And if you do that for a lifetime, you'll be finding out new stuff all the time. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, it's a deep well. Hey everyone, it's Mike here. If you enjoy listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast, then we'd ask you to consider becoming a builder. What is a builder? A builder is a monthly donor, someone who believes in what the Lord is doing through the ministry of the Nehemiah Project. And one of the many things that we do is this podcast. 
Our goal with the podcast is to educate people on what the Bible actually says and to encourage people to carry out the truth in their lives. And so we need the monthly donations from our builders in order to continue this ministry. So if you want to keep hearing these podcasts, we'd encourage you head on over to tnproject.org slash donate and become a builder today. So we see in verse 12, the one that you just ended on, that's basically what we're aiming to accomplish, right? That is the diversity as it's described in this text. And those particular positions there are listed because they are the ones who equip the church, the Mm -hmm. saints, right? Uh, Those are the people who are not these particular positions here. Right. Uh, in this context, they are supposed to be equipped by the pastors and teachers and evangelists for the work of the ministry, or as my translation says, the work of service, so that the building up of the body of Christ may take place here, yeah. right? Yeah. So we see that the system that's, that God has put in place, we see the positions there, we see everything set up, and now in our next section in verses 13 through 16, we see the exercise of diversity leads to growth and maturity and ultimately love, right? Yeah. The love, growth in love is how we're going to push out our, our growing love for sin. That is going to happen if we don't focus on growing our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so let's read verses 13 through 16. It says this, We do all of this until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the full knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of this stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, so that we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, being joined and held together by what every joint supplies according to the properly measured working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Mm. What a powerful portion of scripture. I just want to point out a couple of key terms here. But first, let me just sum up the point. Mm -hmm. The point is, is that when we get saved, we're little babies in Christ. Mm -hmm. God does not want us or expect us to stay infants in Christ. He has provided everything that we need so that we may grow up in maturity of our understanding of who he is. And as we do that, we will necessarily then grow in love for God and love for other people. Mm -hmm. That is the point of this little passage here. But I want to point out some of the phrases here. The first one is tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a very important passage or, or, or part of this passage, rather, to understand. Essentially, in the Greek, what that's saying is God does not want you to be at the point of being mentally agitated because you have no firmly rooted convictions about the truth. Yeah, That's what, that's what he means when he says tossed here and there. That is mental agitation mm-hmm. and carried about by every wind of doctrine, right? Mm-hmm. Now, Let's just root this in its original context for a second. He's writing to the Ephesians. The Ephesians were very close to the Athenians in mm-hmm. geographical distance. There was the Aegean Sea that separated those two people groups. And it was basically, if you were in Ephesus, which was a port town, it was a straight line west to the other side of that sea to Athens, which was also a port town, mm-hmm. right? So you had you had for lack of a better way of saying this, interstate commerce going on, right? Of ideas. There was this exchange of ideas because if you know your Bible and you know anything about the history of Athens, it was basically the epicenter of philosophy. And we can know this just by looking at chapter 17, verse 21. It says this, now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there, quite possibly from Ephesus, Mm -hmm. used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something New. Yeah. Okay. What book of the Bible is that? That's Acts 17. Acts 17. Right. Verse 20. So the Ephesian church was very likely always looking at the new doctrines, quote unquote, Mm. or the new philosophies. Yeah, the new teachings. Itching to hear about these new teachings that are coming out of Athens. Yeah. What are the philosophers talking about? Right. Right. The Greeks had a tremendous interest in wisdom. Mm. They had a tremendous lust for learning. Right. But Christian. It's not a bad thing to learn, 
but be careful. Yeah. Don't be going to podcasts and YouTube channels before you have spent time wrestling in the texts and meditating on the word. Right. Do that before right. you do anything else. Yeah, and I imagine when Paul is writing this to the Ephesians, like you said, the port town, they were very accustomed to ships and being on a ship mm -hmm. and that idea of winds of doctrine. That's right. If you have crosswinds and things coming, your ship's going all over the place. You can't go on a straight line for nothing and you get lost. And that's really the idea that he's trying to portray here. Don't get lost up in in the doctrines of the world and the philosophies of the world because they're going to sound enticing. They're even going to sound good and right. Mm -hmm. How do you know that they're not true? Mm -hmm when you understand the truth of God's word, when you compare those things to God's word, that's where you see the fallacies in them. That's right. That's right. I mean, literally the word translated carried about, it literally means to be driven about in doubt and hesitation, mm. to vacillate on varying opinions and never coming to steady conviction. That's mm. what the word means. Yeah. That's what Paul's saying. All right. So Christian, if that describes your mental state right now, do yourself a favor. Stop listening to all the podcasts. Mm -hmm. Stop listening to all the YouTube channels. Just wrestle with the text. Right. Get in the word and depend on the spirit of God that has been given to you to give you understanding. Yeah. Cry out for it. Call out for it. Mm -hmm. Proverbs chapter two, verses one through six, promise that he'll give it to you. Trust God. Yeah. Go to the go to Bible Hub and and click on Strong's Concordance and look up the words Start learning. in Greek and then he like what do they actually mean? That's what right. Is, that'll help you understand what is actually being said here. There's a place for learning from others. Yeah. But if you find yourself constantly vacillating, you're not at that place yet. Mm -hmm. You need to learn from the Lord. Right. You need to understand that he has given you his word and he's placed you in a local church who have qualified elders. Well, that's Hopefully. Not, that's another thing is go to 1 Timothy 3 and go to Titus 1. What is a qualified elder? And you see all the character qualifications. So you can at least know, okay, this man seems like a qualified man of God. Mm -hmm. And and then hopefully if he's teaching the scriptures, which you that's another thing to, to check, able to teach, is he able to explain what the actual scripture says? And you can only know that if you know what the actual scripture <laughs> right. says. Right. You should be able to, we say this all the time in our church, when we're preaching, you should be able to look at the passage we're talking about and see what we're, what we're saying. You should be able to see it for yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's how you know you're being taught rightly. So that's what Paul is exhorting his people to do is stop vacillating, right? Be careful. He says, be careful because of the trickery of men by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Mm -hmm. Now, this word trickery is literally dice playing. Mm -hmm. That's literally what it means, dice playing. Because there was a lot of deceitful scheming that went on when yeah. people were gambling with this dice rolling, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these people are trying to get you. Like these false teachers who are in it for the money, which mm -hmm. Jude talks about, which Paul talks about, which is so explicit. Second Peter is basically all about that. Mm -hmm. They do it for the money, for the power, for the prestige. They're trying to get you, mm -hmm. and they're trying to get what's in your pocket, mm -hmm. all right? And they're going to get it because they're good at it, right? Yeah. Especially if you don't know what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. You're going to be tossed to and fro. And so Paul, the good pastor that he is, is urging his people to stop it. Stop listening to those Athenians. I was just there, mm -hmm. right? Go back and look at yeah. Acts 17. He's like, I was just there. They don't love Jesus. Right. right. They don't know what they're talking about. Right. And they don't love you because they don't love Jesus. Yeah. Understand that, yeah. right? So then he transitions from that exhortation into the exhortation to the exercise of the gospel-powered change process. And that's going to be in chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Let's go ahead and read it. Therefore, this I say and testify in the Lord that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their mind, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and were taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, to lay aside in reference to your former conduct, the old man, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit 
and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new man, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. So that's the whole exhortation to exercise the gospel empowered change process. Mm -hmm. But let's look at the picture of the old man in verses 17 through 19. Chad, just notice some of these verbs that Paul brings out. Mm -hmm. First of all, the futility of their mind, the darkened uh, status in their mind, the fact that they are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they've become callous. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a dire picture here. Oh, yeah. It's just a reflection of what he wrote earlier, like I said in Ephesians 2, dead in our trespasses and sins. A dead man cannot reason, cannot choose, cannot think. It literally can do nothing except right. decompose and get worse. Exactly. And so that's what Paul is pointing out here is for those who are not in Christ, they're going the way of death. Mm -hmm. We talk about slavery to sin all the time. Without Christ, we're all slaves to sin, and the path is death. Mm -hmm. Right, mm -hmm. death in this life, and many of many people experience the sting of death, the brokenness of our lives, the the struggles with depression and anxiety, the brokenness of families, the brokenness of addiction, mm -hmm. fill in the blank, and that's the way of the world. The world promises everything, but it actually takes away everything. That's right. And the sadness is they don't. The lost person doesn't see the difference. Is why the first thing that they need is Christ. And that's what he reminds them in verse 20. But this is not the way you learned Christ, mm -hmm. right? This is not you if you claim to know Christ. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, the word callous here means literally to be past the point of feeling. Mm -hmm. Like you are dead, you are hard, you are crusty. That's the hardness of heart. Mm -hmm. Recalcitrant. And you're past the point of feeling. You can't feel what God intends for you to feel with yeah. the fact that your sin is just destroying your life, yeah. right? That's right. You have no comprehension of the seriousness of your state of existence. And it, I think it's interesting how he uses the word sensuality, mm -hmm. right? Which is the opposite of being past the point of feeling. It's to give yourself over to feeling to the max, right? Right. In the Greek, it literally means outrageous and licentious conduct. Mm -hmm. Conduct that is shocking to public decency. Oh, yeah. So this is where you get sexual immorality, pornography, orgies, drugs. Yeah. Fill in the blank. Not publicly acceptable behavior. Yeah. Right? But this is all, all sin, basically. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, there's we can make the argument there's like, quote, unquote, little sins that people are cool with. And we see that all the time. But it never stops there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It never stops there. That's just it bubbling up into public discourse and public, uh, the public arena, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The reality is, is our deepest, darkest secrets, if they were put like on a display for everyone to see, mm -hmm. we would be hated by all people, mm -hmm. right? For the sickness that is in our mind, mm -hmm. right? But Paul says, like you just mentioned, Chad, but you did not learn Christ in this way. Mm -hmm. You're not past the point of feeling. You can feel what God feels to an extent as it pertains to your sin, yeah. right? It's killing you. Yeah, yeah. And its desire is to destroy you, mm -hmm. right? And I love how he, how, he, how he says this in verse 21, just as truth is in Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know where truth resides? It's with the Lord. Yeah. He's it. the truth. That's the only place. That's right. I don't care... I don't care what so-and-so person said on the podcast. I don't care what so-and-so person says on the YouTube. I don't care what your feelings are telling you, right? All those things may have utility, but look, the truth is in Jesus. Mm -hmm. What does Jesus say? Mm -hmm. That's what I'm concerned with. Yeah, That's what you should be concerned with, That's Christian. Right. That's why we can trust the word of God because all of it, the, the canon of scripture, the Bible we have, is all attached and affirmed and confirmed by Jesus himself, mm -hmm. right? Now, I, I know I sound very direct and mm -hmm. hardcore, but look, I understand also what it means to struggle with sin. Mm -hmm. I get it, right? And so that's where we go to next is the, the, the putting off of the old man, which happens uh, in concert with the other things that we've discussed, the mind renewal, the change in worship yeah. dispositions. This is where biblical counseling has its existence, yeah. right? This is where a, a man like Chad and the other counselors here are trained on how to help people through the reality of struggling with sin. And this is a hope, right? Hope, true hope comes from hopelessness, meaning when you understand the truth of Christ, 
to put off your old self. And look at the hopeful statement, which belongs to your former manner of life. That's right. Meaning, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Amen. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. There is a new heart, a new man. Those old sins no longer define us. That's the hopeful statement. But hope comes from recognizing that sin and mm-hmm. calling it sin, mm-hmm. right? Which allows us to change. Right, to, to practice speaking the truth in love, mm-hmm. right? He says that back in verse 15. Speaking the truth in love is how we grow up in all aspects into Christ, right? Right, And I was reminded, Chad, of Proverbs 18, 21 that says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. Yeah, You know, that, that scripture has been so butchered, right, mm. by the prosperity gospel, like name it and claim it type mm. of theology. But I mean, let's just say what the Bible says, that there is very, there's a lot of power in our words, yeah. right? Um, we don't have power to make things appear out of nowhere, right? We don't have God's creative power in that mm-hmm. sense. But we very much do have the power that is contained within the gospel message. Yeah, When we use it rightly, right? We have to depend on God's sovereignty, right? To open people's hearts. We have to depend on the spirit of God who does whatever he feels like doing. Mm-hmm. But as Christians, we have the gospel message, yeah. which comes out, comes out in words, mm-hmm. right? Faith comes by hearing. Absolutely. And so life does come by hearing, yeah. right? And hearing the word of truth, mm-hmm. hearing the gospel message of Jesus Christ. You know, I want to take a moment here just to explain progressive sanctification because this is what we see in Ephesians 4 that put off, renew the mind and put on. But Dr. Stuart Scott, his definition um, that I took from some of his notes, he says, progressive sanctification is a lifelong cycle of sin, repentance, renewal, and growth towards Christ-likeness that will only be complete when we meet our Lord. This is accomplished through the active discipline of the believer himself who trusts that the Holy Spirit is energizing his efforts. And when Paul is talking about here, the put off the former manner of life and then be renewed in the spirit of your minds, he's he's really laying out repentance. Repentance is a grace to the believer. It gives us the ability to be renewed. And so... Repentance should be a regular daily habit of the Christian because we all sin every day, right? And so I want to just explain real quickly, what are the elements of repentance? Well, first, it's comprehending. This is where he's talking about being renewed in the spirit of your minds, to comprehend. This means we must understand the truth relevant to our sin and our Savior before we can repent. That's why we have to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. The Greek word here that's most often translated repentance is metanoia, which denotes a change of mind. So our minds are only going to change when we see the Word of God rightly, we understand it rightly in comparison to the reality of our sin, right? We have to change our mind. And then as our mind is changed, our understanding comes about as we're renewed in the spirit of our minds, we confess That's the other element of repentance is true confession. So as our mind is changed in comprehending, it leads us to confession. And confessing is the twofold nature of inward confession is revealed in the meaning of the Greek verb homologeo, which means to say the same thing. Yes. That's what that word means. When the Bible says to confess, it's saying say the same thing as God about your sin. Amen. We must acknowledge to God the fact of our sin and agree with God about the nature of our sin. Just as the truth is in Christ. That's right. So that's where we see in 1 John 1, 8 through 9, where he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess, homologeo, if we agree with God about the fact of our sin and the nature of it, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then as we confess and are forgiven, we choose. That's the third element of repentance. True repentance always includes a willful resolve not to repeat the sin. Isaiah 1, 16-17 shows this dichotomy. When he first calls out their sin, he says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Comprehend. Mm-hmm. Learn mm-hmm. to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. 
Repentance is the willful resolve to choose not to repeat sin, and in that, self-control is grown. Mm-hmm. The fruit of the Spirit, one of the, one of the elements of it, self-control, yeah. is grown as we comprehend God's Word, confess, and choose. That's so good. And I want to just make a couple of notes on some key words here, and then we'll walk through the rest of this passage. But the word lusts, it says, with the lusts of deceit. Now, mm-hmm. that's a key word in biblical counseling, right? The word literally can be translated passionate longings, mm-hmm. can be translated desires, uh, what you're eager for, your strong urges. Mm-hmm. It can be positive or negative depending on the context, uh, you know, whether it's things that God would desire or it's whether it's things that the flesh would desire. But you know, a good biblical counselor is going to ask you those sort of heart questions, right? Yeah. What are you desiring here? Yeah. What are you longing for? What are you What are you wanting? What are you desiring? That's right. And that's going to reveal the root system, right? That's right. Right? Like what you actually are on the inner man, mm-hmm. right? Your your um, your heart, in other yeah. words. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm-hmm. And so the other word that I did want to point out here is the word to be renewed. And that literally means, this is interesting, mm-hmm. it literally means going up to a higher stage. Yeah, That's its literal meaning. And the context is sanctification. So literally what Paul's saying is level up in your sanctification. Yeah. Like literally go up to a higher stage of Christ-likeness yeah. in your mind. Mm-hmm. That's where it begins. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that we have the mind of Christ. But that mind has to be renewed in the truth. Mm-hmm. And the truth is found in the word of scripture, yeah. right? We can't actually exemplify mm-hmm. Christ unless we know how yeah. he thinks. I, I explain it plainly to those that I counsel. We are to conform our lives to the word of God. We are not to conform the word of God to our lives. That's good. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. So we come to the word. We see what the word says. We understand it and we repent and conform to what God's word says. So in verses 17 through 24, we saw the picture of the old man, the putting off of the old man, the practice of mind renewal, and the putting on of the new man. And now let's just quickly go through some examples of the gospel and power change process in verses 25 through 32. And what I'm going to do is read these, but I'm going to say, here's the old man, Mm -hmm. here's the heart motivation or the mind renewal, and here's the putting on of the new man. Because yep. that's what Paul does now, is he gives us a couple of examples. Yep. And no doubt, these were examples that were within this congregation. Mm-hmm. Verse 25, he says, Therefore, laying aside, there's put off, falsehood, right. speak truth, there's put on, each one of you with his neighbor, for, here's the heart motivation, for we are members of one another. Yep. Right Now, where's the motivation coming from? The, great, the second greatest commandment. Right. Love, Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord as we love the Lord, we love our neighbor. Okay, verse 26. Be angry and yet do not sin. So there's the old man. Put off the sinful, angry Mm -hmm. outbursts. Yeah. And do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. There's the motivation, right? Putting on the new man is just, it's okay to be angry, but don't let your anger turn into sin, Right. right? And what's the motivation? I hate the devil. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't want to give him an opportunity to get in the church right. and start running amok. Right. And just a clarification there in the be angry and do not sin, that's, that's speaking of righteous anger. When mm-hmm. you see sin around us in the world or, or happening before you, a mind of Christ will have justice inside of us. That's right. And that's not right. That's right. But then our response has to be Christ-likeness as well. That's right. The next one, he who steals must steal no longer. There's the old man, mm-hmm. stop stealing. But rather, he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good. There's the new man, mm-hmm. go to work. Yep. So that, here's the motivation, he will have something to share with the one who has need. There's Christian giving, yeah, right? right? You go to work because God expects you to work and he wants you to work and it's good for you to work. And one of the motivating factors uh, for going out and earning an income is so that you will have something to give to the person who doesn't have, yeah. right? This is Christian giving. Verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. There's the old man. Stop cussing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stop speaking about things that you shouldn't speak about. But only speak a word as such is good for building up what is needed. There's the new man, right? You Let your speech be seasoned with salt, it says elsewhere in the Bible. 
edify and encourage one another. Don't tear each other down. Stop biting and devouring one another, it says in Galatians chapter 6. Here's the motivation. So that it will give grace to those who hear. I want to be the example of the Lord Jesus Christ to people so that I can glorify my Lord. Mm. Right? That's my motivating factor that's going to help me self-control my mouth. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. Okay, and then he says in verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's actually a continuation of that last put on, Mm -hmm. put off. Verse 31, let all bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander be put away from you along with all malice. There's the put off. Mm -hmm. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, graciously forgiving each other. There's the put on. Just as, here's the motivation, God in mm-hmm. Christ also has graciously forgiven you. Mm-hmm. There is the gospel-empowered process of change. That's right. Put off, have your mind renewed, have your worship dispositions changed, and put on the new man. And here in chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, is the exercise of Christ-like love. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Mm-hmm. Well, we hope that this podcast has helped you understand the gospel and power change process. It is just as a way of review, first and foremost, required. it requires salvation. And then once an individual is saved, they can rightly put off the old man, have their mind renewed in the text of scripture, and change their worship dispositions, and then they can put on the new man, mm-hmm. which is created in the likeness of Christ. Yeah. Any final words, Chad, before we sign off today? Just the encouragement of this is a, a place of hope and joy. You don't want to keep the old man. It leads to death. But Christ in his mercy, um, for those that he's uh, saved, has renewed our mind and given us the opportunity and the ability to to love God, to be made in the image of Christ, to put off the old man, to be able to choose Christ. Those are graces. Those, that's joy. And if your heart bucks against that, see it for what it is. It's sin. And if there is zero desire, the issue may be greater that salvation hasn't taken place yet. Mm-hmm. And we encourage you to put your faith in Christ. Amen. We thank you all for listening to another episode of the Nehemiah Project podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. For more resources about addiction recovery, suicide prevention, and overcoming other life-controlling issues, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, tnproject.org. If you or someone you love is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out to us by calling 985 205 3022.